We're all about turning a crappy situation into something positive. A quarter million dollars of credit card I debt. I still remember the day when no one turned up. Throw it in the garbage and start from scratch. I could give myself a chance, so I started something. I mean, I think that counts as from poop to gold. <laughs> our sponsor for this episode is our 14-day video script challenge. Yes, we are sponsoring our own show. Yes, we are. <laughs> Welcome back to From Poop to Gold. I'm your co-host, Benton Crane. Today we are filming live from Calvin University. Uh, so this will be a really fun format to explore. I've also got a couple of special guests here with us today. I've got Ron DeHaas. He is the president and co-founder of Covenant Eyes, who is also our client. And I have Nicole Morris, who is VP of product for Covenant Eyes. Welcome to the show. It's nice to be here. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Now, for our listeners who are not familiar with Covenant Eyes, we just showed the ad that we made for Covenant Eyes to the live audience here. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about this ad. So if you haven't seen it yet, you'll find a link to it in the description below the podcast. I highly recommend you go and watch this. But for those of you who are driving or whatever, and you don't have a chance right now to watch the podcast, Ron, can you give a 30-second elevator pitch of what Covenant Eyes is? Sure. Covenant Eyes uh, is a relationship-building tool. Uh, once people realize that they are struggling with pornography, uh, we provide a, a mechanism, a tool. It's not the, the, the absolute solution. It's a tool that leads to the solution. And that is to find someone that you really genuinely have a relationship, someone who cares about you. Someone uh, you trust. Someone that you trust. And you are then uh, allowing that person to, uh, to monitor what you do on your computing device. Uh, and it, it, the way the program works, it's not just the internet. It's all the use of your computing device. It, it includes the camera and other apps uh, as well. But you choose an ally, someone you can depend on that is willing to hold you accountable on your computer use. They get a report, and once that report is received by the other person, it gives that person the opportunity to contact you uh, and find out what's going on here. You know, the best, uh, they say that the best uh, weight loss technique is to weigh yourself every day. And so uh, this idea of accountability, it really works. So pornography. Boy, that's a light subject, right? Mm, yeah, really. So we're going to dive into that a little bit. We're going to talk about, holy smokes, this is a taboo subject. This is a sensitive subject. This is a hard subject to talk about. We'll kind of dive into how we address that. But before we go there, I'd love to dive into the backstory of how did this all happen? Where did Covenant Eyes come from? And, and, and what led you to, to found Covenant Eyes? Uh, um in 1992, I lost my family in an automobile accident. My wife and two kids were killed uh, on the highway. A tanker truck came up behind them at, at highway speed, never slowed down, and they were all killed instantly. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so that was certainly a tragedy. Uh, and a year later, uh, I actually was, I, I married another woman who already had three children of her own. They became my children. And then we had another child of our own. Uh, and so that was in 1993 that we were married. But by the year 2000, I was on the internet and I realized by then I had two teenage sons and I realized there are dangers here on the internet and pornography is so easily accessible. And the only thing around back then was filters. 
trying to block, uh, legalistically block access to pornography. And I wanted more for my teenage sons. I wanted something that uh, I, I knew what they were doing. And rather than a, a filter, which in fact may even encourage them to try to get around it and it's hide. The challenge. the challenge, yeah. The secrecy of it. Mm -hmm. uh, to provide a, me a means for me to monitor where they're going. And if they are to stumble, then gives us something to talk about. Uh, gives us a starting point in that conversation. And so uh, it was back in the year 2000, March of 2000, that I came across the idea of having accountability on the internet back then. And uh, so I was fortunate to have access to uh, some people who were able to develop the program. And by June of 2000, actually, we were uh, providing Covenant Eyes. Now, had you founded other companies prior to this? Uh, I've been in business all my life. I'm a geologist. I've been in the oil business all my life. And uh, I, I've started, by the, by the year 2000, I started over 50 companies. So uh, I, I've been in business all my life. So you had a few successes under your belt already. I did. I did. What I thought, I was, I oh, thought I was retired uh, <laughs> in the year 2000 after the accident. A settlement from the trucking company that was responsible for it um, enabled me to start a ministry on my property for pastors and missionaries. And uh, I thought I thought that was going to be my life was to, you know, just to serve pastors and missionaries. Uh, I happened to have a young man working for me. His name was Colin, who was absolutely a genius in telecommunications. Uh, I really uh, am certain that he was among the top uh, knowledgeable people about telecommunications in the United States. And the amazing thing is he was only 17 years old at the time. Wow. And I asked him, can you hold me accountable on where I go on the internet? And he spent only about five minutes on my computer and he said, sure, I can do that. And then three days later presented me with a report of all the sites that I had been to. And I, I said, Colin, I think maybe there's a business here, uh, having been in business. Uh, and I said, do you want to start a business? And he said, absolutely. This is a great mission that we have to provide this. And uh, he had an ulterior motive. He was after my daughter. And now <laughs> he also, yeah, he did. He's also <laughs> the father of two of my grandkids. So, yeah. That, that's awesome. Yeah. The theme of the podcast, From uh -huh. Poop to Gold, mm -hmm. every successful person has had to overcome some really serious obstacles mm -hmm. to become successful? Uh, you mean w losing my family and, uh, and uh, changing my life? Th there's a sense in which uh, that moment of the accident was uh, uh, the moment that defines the before and the after uh, in, in my life, certainly. Uh, it's not the only moment like that. Uh, Covenant Eyes is one of those, starting Covenant Eyes is one of those mo uh, moments. Uh, by the end of, by, by July of 2002, uh, all the money from the settlement was gone. I had all that money invested in Covenant Eyes. Uh, I'd been in business long enough to, uh, it, by that time I recognized we had turned the corner. Fortunately, Colin had also gotten me into the ISP business and we were providing internet for our local hometown, uh, internet and telephone service. And so that actually saved the business because Covenant Eyes didn't become profitable until 2006, and we would have been out of business had it not been for that. So there were some what struggles. what year was it founded? Uh, 2000. Okay, so there was a six-year period where, yeah. where it was not profitable on its own. Yeah. 
and it had to essentially be supported yeah, by, by there, another company. And there's a reason for that. I'll tell you. Uh, I, I thought, um, you know, s since I recognize the value of accountability, and since I thought, you know, this everybody's going to want to use this. Everybody's going to want it. I thought, wow, this is really just going to take off. Well, it's a little bit like selling asbestos removal. You know, <laughs> uh, it, it, uh, it it's a hard thing. It, it, back then, people didn't know what accountability was. Uh, and just trying to, and the other thing I found out is people, uh, more, and this isn't as true now as it was back then, but people in general are not proactive. They wait until the crisis happens before they actually do something. And that is just too bad. And, and I would also add that there's, uh, I think culture is changing a little bit in, in that mm -hmm. in years past, you know, pornography is just not something that you ever talk about. You know, right. that's not something that you would bring up at family dinner and have a discussion about. No. And and hopefully, that that's changing a little bit, and it's becoming a little bit safer for people to actually have a discussion about. It is. It's still a bit of a taboo subject. Certainly. Uh, pornography and addiction. Uh, you know, the the two taboo subjects that are involved here. Uh, it still is a bit of a taboo subject, but you're right. More and more people are recognizing that uh, a, a couple of things. Uh, they're recognizing, number one, that there is a direct connection between pornography and sex trafficking. And who isn't opposed to sex trafficking? But when we realize that the people who are in pornography are being trafficked, uh, and, and they started often at the age of 12 or even younger, uh, and these, these people are actually being trafficked. Uh, and in addition to that, the, the education that people have about sex, sex education now is pornography. Uh, and so uh, the, the average age of exposure is around 11 years old to pornography. And so this is how, how kids are learning about sex. Number one, the boys are learning this is how I treat girls. And the girls are learning, this is how I should be treated. 80% of pornography today has some form of violence in it. And so when you put those together, you realize sexual abuse, sexual exploitation is a growing phenomenon uh, because, because of pornography. And, uh, and so because of the awareness of that, what you just said is, is true. People are starting to become more willing to talk about it. So that's kind of where Harmon Brothers came into the picture, mm. right? Yes. Let, let's talk a little bit about how that all came together. Um, I, th I think the initial contact happened through you, Ron, and I'd love Nicole to, to mm. chime in on this as well. Yeah, absolutely. So a uh, little over a year and a half ago, Ron basically challenged us with, my vision is to change the course of history by enabling the world to overcome porn and be restored and transformed. And that obviously is a mission that is close to Ron's heart and it is close among the hearts of all of us that work at Covenant Eyes. And we looked at that mission and we thought, okay, how do we do that? <laughs> that's, a, that's a big call. Um, and that takes reaching an audience that's much, much larger than the people that were familiar with Covenant Eyes at the time. We're talking about the world. We're not talking about um, thousands and thousands of people and hundreds of thousands of people. We're talking about the world. And so we looked at how are, how are we going to accomplish that? Number one, the topic is taboo. And we don't actually know the mechanics of reaching the world. We talked about, oh, we could put our Super Bowl hat up. Like, what would we say? What would we do? What would we talk about? And we needed this message that was going to communicate that pornography is massively destructive. 
we know that when someone is struggling in the deep throes of pornography, it affects the relationship that they see themselves, how they relate to their significant others, how they relate to their friends, how they relate to their kids if they're parents. And that destruction is just, it, it explodes. And in order to tackle that, you have to reach out and connect with another human. And accountability starts to provide that connection so that you can really overcome that and break that shame cycle. But that's a hard message to craft. You, get, you don't just Super talk hard. about that typically like sitting on the plane next to someone and they're like, oh, I understand what you have. I, I would like to use Kevin and I. I've seen them. you do that, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's tough, right? Like that, that's hard. And so how mm -hmm. do you communicate that message to the world when pornography isn't something that's communicated about and the destruction that it causes isn't always a shared belief? Not everybody believes that that is destructive. So how could we create a message that allowed us to have that massive influence but then also be able to connect with people who are in that struggle in a way that was um, very sensitive to that crisis and be able to connect with people who might not be experiencing that, might not have experienced that level of destruction, but could say, I'm not there, but I could help somebody else walk through that journey and see that hope. And that was something that we really wanted to portray is we've heard testimony after testimony after testimony of people who have used Covenant Eyes and they've tried everything else. But yet when they got accountability, they were able to overcome and they were able to be hopeful and they were able to restore those relationships. So we knew it worked. We knew that there was yep. something to this and it was just being able to take that message and say, how do we communicate that to the world? Um, and so we looked at Harmon Brothers and Harmon Brothers got it from the very, very first conversation. It was oftentimes that we would talk about it and people would kind of look at us like, okay, but like, how does that actually work? And uh, when I first started communicating with Harmon Brothers, they were like, oh, so it works like this? And I was, well, yes, actually, that's exactly how it works. And that level of um, clear understanding of how the product provided value and that level of uh, transformation and that clarity and then knowing how to speak to an audience about that was really why we reached out to Harmon Brothers and chose Harmon Brothers to help us in that journey. And one thing from our perspective that was really interesting, initially we went into those conversations kind of assuming that Covenant Eyes was probably a pretty small niche, mm -hmm. uh, niche company. Yeah. And we were surprised to find out that that's not the case at all. You were already serving hundreds of thousands of people, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, already a very successful company, very profitable, serving hundreds of thousands of people. Mm -hmm. and, and so coming to Harmon Brothers wasn't a matter of like, can you help us get this thing off the ground? No. It was a matter of, can you help us take this thing to the masses? Mm -hmm. Yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, to reach the, the world outside, as Nicole said, that's... Uh, uh, you know, when we go to uh, a gathering of faith-based people, uh, very often people have heard of Covenant Eyes. In fact, almost all people have heard of Covenant Eyes. Not everybody, but uh, lots of people have heard about Covenant Eyes. But mm -hmm. that's not true when we go to uh, the world outside. They don't, they don't know anything about accountability. They don't know anything about Covenant Eyes. And so that was our goal, was to try to reach uh, a new audience with, with this. Now, how did you get connected to Harmon Brothers? I am on the board of directors of the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. And every year uh, in June, we have a conference, a national conference. And uh, at that conference, I met, I have met both Neil and John, uh, uh, Jeff. Jeff. Neil and Jeff Harmon. Both my partners. Uh, yep, and Neil and Jeff, uh, then I also had opportunity to get together with them and their families and spend a week together with each of them. And uh, during that time, I realized the passion that they have for this subject of sexual exploitation and pornography. Uh, and then they started telling me about Harmon Brothers. 
uh, the marketing group. And I realized there's, this is more than just hiring uh, a marketing group. This is actually taking on a partnership with someone who gets it, someone who really uh, has already had experience in this realm and recognizes how difficult a subject this is, but can deal with it. So for context, Neil, Daniel, and Jeff are the, the brothers. That Harmon, yeah, the Harmon brothers, the Harmon right? brothers. Yeah. Uh, there's yeah. actually three other brothers as well, but, uh -huh. but those, were the, uh, uh, the, those were the three who I partnered up with mm -hmm. back in 2013 to, uh, to do Harmon Brothers. Poopery was our original campaign. And after Poopery, and, and times were getting tough, uh, we were running low on cash, and so Daniel and I went and shifted our focus back to building an agency, which is Harmon Brothers, and so that's how it's, uh, th that's how it's remained to today. So the, mm -hmm. that's just context for the listeners sure. on, on why Neil and Jeff were the initial contact, and then they, re they referred you guys over to us. Right. Um, okay, so we, we make the connection. Mm -hmm. we're, kind of, we're kind of exploring um, a potential partnership here. We're looking at you guys going, holy smokes. This yeah, would we're be looking difficult. at you guys and saying, can we afford that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, uh -huh. so a little bit of a little bit of a back and forth dance going mm -hmm. on, figuring out is is this the right partnership? And and from our perspective, this was something that hit you know very close to home. Mm -hmm. um, I know for me personally, um, I've been affected by pornography in my life. I have siblings. I have friends. Um, all sorts of people um, who have been affected in negative ways by pornography. And, and so having an opportunity to try to make a positive impact in that space was very appealing, but it was also very scary. Mm -hmm. it, it, was, mm -hmm. it was a challenge oh, yeah. to look at this and say, how? How do we do this? Mm -hmm. uh, but ultimately, we decided, you know what? We want the risk. We're, mm -hmm. we're comfortable with the risk. We've kind of grown a reputation for taking on, uh, you know, risky campaigns. And, and this yeah. one, you know, is about as risky as, the, as, as we had seen. Um, so ultimately, we decided we're comfortable with it. We want to do this partnership. What was the decision process like on your side? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so we evaluated multiple different types of groups. And one of the reasons why we ended up with Harmon Brothers is because they had a very clear expectation of what our product did, and they understood how to articulate that to an audience. And oftentimes when we meet with different ad agencies, they would say, well, you could do more about this type of advertising. You could do more banner advertising. But we knew that that wasn't what we needed. What we needed was this distillation of this complex problem and this complex message in this very detailed narrative about the issue that was being present and then how to solve that and then what that victory looked like and how our service fit into that story. And so we chose Harmon Brothers as a result of that. Uh, we were a little bit nervous about humor. Uh, as a group, we were wondering, okay, so Harmon Brothers, like, they are really good at humor, but this topic is really serious. And a lot of our customer service have these regular conversations with people where they're, they're talking about divorce is being talked about. And it's people, heavy stuff. Yeah, people are, are ready to call it quits on their relationships because it's been so damaging. And so we're looking at the examples and we're wondering, okay, Harmon Brothers, like, we're talking about pornography. Like, we're talking about people's marriages. We're talking about their relationships with their kids. 
Like, oh, I don't this think... This is stuff you can't make light of. You can't make this a laughing matter. Like, that. there's there's no way to do that. And so what we wanted to do is talk to Harmon Brothers, and we had very candid and open conversations about how can you take this message and make it the best for the audience and be sensitive to the fact that this is a, a very difficult and deep issue that's impacting people very, very deeply. And so we saw other people in your portfolio, and one of those was Save the Storks. And we saw that instead of just using humor because you guys knew how to do humor, you used humor because it was the best way for people to talk about that message and for it to be shareable for people. But in the case of Save the Storks, there was no humor, right? Yeah, and, and Save the Storks <laughs> showed us that like the choice for humor is a choice, not because it's an option that is known, but because it's the best delivery. And for Save the Storks, it wasn't the best delivery. And so seeing that thought process and that design of how to take a message and craft it for that audience perfectly and see that there was a variety in the Harmon Brothers portfolio definitely gave us the comfort that if it ends up being humor, it's because humor is the best way for us to communicate that message. And it turns out for us that it was, but we know that other uh, approaches were evaluated in that season of creation. Um, but that was a big element for us in being able to say like, yep, let's go with Harmon Brothers. You know, believe it or not, almost every single one of our clients comes in with that exact same concern. Mm -hmm. of like, I don't know if humor is right for my brand or not. Is yeah. this really the, the direction that I want to go? And so we, we kind of have to reassure them in the same way we did you that humor is a tool, mm -hmm. but it's not a necessary element. We can make successful campaigns without humor. But the reason we go back to humor over and over and over again is because it is the most shareable thing on the internet. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when you're about to post something to your Facebook feed, you think to yourself, am I adding to, mm -hmm. you know, to my, to my community, to, to my, my, my friends, my family, am I giving them something or am I being a drag? Mm -hmm. And and so you know sometimes you can get other types of shareable content. Sometimes fear-based content can be shareable. You know sometimes you see moms you know posting kidnapping statistics or whatever, sure. and that can be shared. But at the end of the day, it's kind of a drag on people's. You know they see that, and instead of feeling uplifted and put a smile on their face, instead they kind of feel like ugh. Mm -hmm. And that's not what we want to uh, to do for for the people around us. And so inherently, the things that we tend to share the most tend to be the things that are funny and, and, and they put a smile on people's faces. Yeah. And so from an advertiser's perspective, that basically gives us a built-in advantage, right? If we can spend $100 to put an ad in front of an audience, but then we get an extra 20% of viewers that just comes through sharing, that means we got $120 worth of ads for $100. So basically, our ads are on sale compared to our competitors' ads, and that gives us a really big advantage. Um, so that, that's, the, that's the power of humor. But to your point, Nicole, humor isn't the necessary element. It's just one tool in the toolbox. Yes. And in the case of Covenant Eyes, we explored both. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, we did land on, let's embrace humor. Let, let's try to use humor as a tool to, to make, this, make it a safer subject. But the humor that was used, uh, one thing that uh, impressed me about the way that humor was used was that it was being used on the success end of using Covenant Eyes. Uh, the talk about the fact that people who use Covenant Eyes uh, turn from, and, w and we kind of map words that people use to 
uh, describe their feelings before and after using covenant eyes. And before uh, using covenant eyes, very often they say they're hopeless. Uh, they have a, a very low self-esteem and so on. But after using covenant eyes for a period of time, they feel hopeful and confident. And so uh, the humor that is brought out in the videos uh, is, is geared toward that success, the success part of the story. So I, I appreciated that. It was a good collaborative effort as well. And in fact, that, that creative process, it's worth mentioning that there was a pretty major pivot that happened. You know, we, we started down one path. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the, the original plan was that we were going to have kind of this gremlin type character who represents pornography. Mm -hmm. And this gremlin type character would you know, latch itself onto, you know, to people's shoulders or, or you, you know, wh whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Because our goal was to say, look, you're not the problem. Porn is the problem. And we wanted to create a really stark and distinct differentiation there. Um, and so we, we went clear down that path. We were probably two months into the process or so. And, and you guys can probably uh, speak to this as, as well as I can, but we realized we were running into dead ends, and as we were kind of testing the messaging on people, we we could see this isn't working, mm -hmm. the, this isn't landing. So, of course, we made the pivot over to the superhero concept, which mm -hmm. we felt was really important because instead of focusing in on this character that represents the dark side of this, Instead, we created a, a character that represents the hope, mm -hmm. the, the, the joy that comes out the other side, the confidence that, that comes on the other side. And the other thing that we were able to achieve with that superhero character, of course, is if the strongest man on earth is dealing with this, then it's probably okay that I'm dealing with it. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's probably okay that my friend's dealing with it, and it's safe now for us to talk about that. Yeah, in uh, in the video, the superhero talks about the the shame cycle, that uh, shame uh, it, the the cycle begins with shame of of looking at pornography and the isolation that that creates. You you become isolated from relationships, and uh, what does that do? Uh, a, a typical uh, response is, in fact, you would think at that point you'd turn for help, but that's not what people often do. They because of the shame, because of the isolation, they turn back to pornography, and it, it's a vicious cycle. And so a uh, vivid description of how that shame cycle is broken in, in the video. And funny at the same time. Uh -huh. uh, there, there's, that's one point where humor is brought in, is breaking that shame cycle. Now, there, there were some really interesting um, learnings that we had along the way as uh -huh. we were kind of working through the, the creative process. And, and um, if you've seen the video, you'll, you'll see that the main character, this colossal man, he's this superhero, he is portrayed as a 12-year-old boy. And as a 12-year-old boy, that's where he first gets exposed to, to pornography. And then it, it, he talks about how it drew him in and, mm -hmm. and it was irresistible. And eventually it, it became you know, something that he just couldn't overcome on, on his own. Now the original script didn't call for him to be a 12-year-old boy. Originally, we were going to show him as a man. 
do, do you guys do you guys remember the, yes. the learnings that we stumbled upon in, yes. in making mm -hmm. that decision? Do yeah. you want to yeah. speak to that? Um, Nicole, do you? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. When we would show imagery that would include an adult, people's reactions tended to be more judgmental and reactive in a more negative fashion. But when we yeah, would you, show, you see a man and you're like, oh, that dirtbag. <laughs> yeah. Like you should have control over your actions. How are you exposed to this? But when it's a child, then our level of empathy is increased. And what we know is to be true is that most people actually first are exposed to pornography when they're in their youth. And that that draw tends to start that chemical reaction that says, I, I want more of this. How do I get more of this? And so it was both realistic to the, the statistics that tell us that that's the time of first exposure, but also that level of empathy that it's not just as an adult, sometimes you want to look at pornography, but that it's often a result of an exposure as a child and then moving towards that into an adulthood and into that relationship, into relationships. And so being able to bring that into the story and be able to relate to people who that was their story mm -hmm. um, and they saw that, we knew that that was true. And to be able to connect with people in that way brought that level of, of empathy and uh, compassion for that interaction. We have a, uh, at Covenant Eyes, we have a scholarship program that uh, students can apply for uh, who use Covenant Eyes. And one of the qualifying questions for the scholarship is, how have you used Covenant Eyes? And over the years, uh, there has been a change. Now, we, uh, since we've been doing this for 20 years, many of our entrants now have been using Covenant Eyes for many years, uh, even though they're only 20 years old. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, more and more we're getting the stories how this has uh, really uh, protected them to begin with. But over and over again, they, they, the stories start out, I was addicted to pornography when I was 12 years old. And so this 12-year-old boy that you're talking about in the video uh, relates to a lot of people because that is the age, that 12-year-old age. That's the age that I see over and over again in these scholarship applications. You know, I remember another creative decision that came up. We decided to leave the word addiction completely out. Mm -hmm. You want to speak to that? Uh, well, the word addiction, of course, that, that's a different, uh, a different taboo. Uh, we were talking about the two taboos, addiction and pornography. Uh, Bo both of them are difficult subjects. Mm -hmm. Yep, but, but there's but, but they're, they're there, separate, right? They are separate, and uh, the fact is, when you're trying to reach the world outside the faith-based world, I think the faith-based world uh, overall, and we actually have statistics that demonstrate this, the faith-based world recognizes that pornography is one of the most addictive things that that there is, uh, and that it is addictive. However, the world outside, uh, it, it's a bit of a controversial topic whether or not it's actually addictive. And so, okay, I, it doesn't matter. You know, really, for the purposes of what we're trying to accomplish, it really doesn't matter. The fact is, pornography is affecting your life. And this is how you can change from being hopeless and have low self-esteem to turning to be hopeful and confident. And so that's the message that we wanted to portray, rather than even introduce something that might be controversial, mm -hmm. like the subject of addiction. Yeah, and along those same lines, we don't even address right versus wrong No, in, in this no. ad. We don't even go down that road of trying to make an argument that, that pornography is bad or that pornography is wrong. Instead, we just simply say, or our character says, mm -hmm. 
I dealt with this, this is what I did about it. If you are dealing with this too, here's how to, here's how to deal with it. Mm -hmm. More and more people are realizing, as I said earlier, the connection between pornography and sex trafficking. Uh, but they're also realizing the effect, the physical effect that it has on them. Uh, can I share some statistics sure, with you sure. there? Um, m most people would think that uh, erectile dysfunction is, uh, is something that old men have to deal so with. It's our grandpas. Uh, yep, that's right. Well, there have been three studies that I'm, uh, that I'm uh, three periods of time that I want to talk about. The first one was in the 1940s, the Kinsey Report, uh, which was an extensive report on sexual behaviors, mm -hmm. indicated that less than 1% of men 18 to 30, so I'm going to talk about men 18 to 30. Uh, among men 18 to 30, less than 1% had erectile dysfunction in the 1940s. In the 1990s, that number, uh, there was a study that was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association that uh, suggested that erectile dysfunction, men 18 to 30, affected uh, about 6%, less than 7%. Now that might be within the error limits of the two studies. Uh, you know, I, I haven't looked that, that deeply at uh, the scientific background of those two studies. But it would but tend to indicate an increase. Uh, it, it would tend to in indicate an increase. However, since 2010, there have been four peer-reviewed studies, one of them by the United States Navy, four peer-reviewed studies that indicate that for men 18 to 30, young men 18 to 30, more than 30% of young men 18 to 30 suffer from erectile dysfunction. A and those third ads, of men? A third one of men, in three men. And those ads are now targeted not to, the grand, not to your grandfather, but to young men 18 to 30. There's a discussion of this in uh, Time Magazine, April of uh, 2016, April 4th, I think it was, uh, of 2016. The cover says porn on it with a, a red line through it. Uh, and the, there are three young men in, in that story uh, in the article that talk about this, this effect, that how it has affected them, their erectile dysfunction. Uh, and so much so that Time Magazine, I don't think they came up with the name, but they called it what it is, porn-induced erectile dysfunction, and they just used the initials P-I-E-D. And so this is now what we were just talking about, how, how do people out there see it without seeing it being a moral issue, right or wrong, or being an addiction or whatever, it doesn't really matter. But when it starts uh, affecting young men, 18 to 30, to the point that a third of them aren't even able to, uh, to have sex, uh, this, is, this becomes a civilizational crisis. And I didn't need, uh, I didn't need a, an article on the cigarette pack to tell me that, that smoking causes cancer. Uh, what told me that smoking causes cancer is when your grandmother dies from cancer, from lung cancer, and she smoked three packs a day. And you realize that's what's causing it. And in the same way, you don't really need a scientific study to tell you what the problem is with erectile dysfunction. Uh, you know what that issue is. Wow, that blows my mind. Yeah. One in three. One in three, that's right. Goodness. Anything else that you guys would want to add about the creative process? What it was like from oh, your Oh, there was another turning point. Yeah. You, you, we're talking about turning points, and this was significant. F for 19 years, we struggled with the name accountability partner. And, you know, how, how do we talk about the accountability partner? For one thing, there are too many syllables. So what do we call this person? 
and at, at your prompting, uh, we changed that, and we changed it to the word ally. And after we realized the difference between what we were trying to portray as accountability partner versus ally, we realized, no, that's it. You're looking for an ally. You're not just looking for an accountability mm -hmm. partner. You're looking for an ally, someone who's really with you on this. So. And that even came through a little bit of testing, right? Because yes, we it also did. explored yep. Yep. Uh, Sidekick, where we yeah. had kind of gone with this superhero theme. Yeah. We thought that Sidekick would would be the mm -hmm. would be the right name. But after some testing, we discovered that Sidekick wasn't resonating with your customers. Sidekick had a connotation of uh, an kind of a, a subsidiary person, someone who was less than less than you. Uh, ally is a peer, uh, and so. Uh, we didn't want to portray the ally as being someone who was inferior, uh, and Sidekick kind of had that connotation. I think that points to another uh, theme of our relationship with Harmon Brothers is that it really has been a collaborative effort. A lot of uh, creative work could be, okay, well, let us go and we're going to go create this thing and we'll give it back to you. Um, but instead, Harmon Brothers was interacting with us daily and has been for over a year. Uh, and really weekly working with our teams to really construct how to do messaging in a way that's going to allow us to accomplish our goals. And I think that that relationship has really transformed how we do our work, as well as how we think about like the clarity of our mission, the clarity of our, our work and our product, and how that aligns with what our customers need. And that relationship in and of itself has been extremely valuable. Um, and that day-to-day -day collaboration and that weekly collaboration and the ability to pivot and make changes throughout that process that we're really gonna align with what we we're headed towards mm -hmm. was really, really powerful for us. Can you think of any specific examples of how, uh, how things have changed internally uh, as a result? Yeah, uh, so one of the elements that we have been looking at a lot is that uh, we were talking a little bit earlier actually about how a lot of times we talk about the technology and we have this application and it does this thing and the commercial doesn't really talk that much about it. It talks about the report. We talk about how that's shared. But one of the things that we found in our work with Harmon Brothers is that it's not the technology that people care the most about. What they care most about is what they need the technology to do and that's the relationship with another person. They're looking for that connection. They're looking for that ability to have those conversations. And Conanize is the catalyst for that. It amplifies that relationship. It allows it to have this report that says, here's what I know is going on. Let's have a conversation about what's happening. What happened before this event? What happened after it? Let's process through that together. And so it is that catalyst for that relationship where we weren't necessarily speaking to that before. A lot of times we were talking about what the technology can do and look how cool this application is. But we features. Were, yeah, we were missing that element of that connection and what our users really needed from us, which was for us to be in a position where we could provide them that tool, but the relationships that were allowing them to have those deep, meaningful conversations were amplified because of the work that we were doing. I think that's a really significant one for how we've understood our messaging. Mm -hmm. What kind of results have you guys seen from the campaign? Oh, wow. Well, one of the results was uh, the change, the changes that Nicole was just talking about in our marketing processes. Uh, apart from the uh, additional signups that we have, uh, have had uh, through the videos, uh, those changes, we're still in the process of making those changes. Yeah, weekly. And as a result, we're still in the process of fully being able to use those processes to get the signups through the video. We still aren't even really fully implementing 
the last two videos that mm -hmm. uh, that you guys produced. Yeah, the, the because we're still, still we're, we're still in the process ro of rolling out uh, different marketing aspects, uh, our processes. So yeah. Now I think last I heard, uh, signups are up twenty four percent year over year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, for a for a tiny company, a twenty four percent bump is is everyone gives each other high fives, but for right. an already established, mature, healthy company, 24%, uh, that's fantastic, right? Yeah, we've, yeah, that's, it really is fantastic. Yeah, um, we've, we've experienced growth every year, uh, but nevertheless, uh, we look at this next year as being probably the most explosive growth that we've, that we've had. It's exciting. Yeah, and I have to put in a plug for you guys too, because uh, we, I'll let you. Uh, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> because really, uh, I've talked with our chief operating officer, David Granroth, as well, and uh, we recognize that the value that you have provided to our, our marketing processes, our sign-up process, our website, and so on, uh, have been enough, even without the videos that you produced. Uh, I, was, I was present during the filming of uh, at least two of the videos, and that's a very impressive process. You guys are really pros at that. But as I said, even without the videos, uh, what you have done for our marketing processes has alone been worth worthwhile. Well, th thank you for yeah. sharing that. Yeah, it's, sure. This has yeah. been a, <laughs> a super fun partnership for uh, us. It has. Um, without a doubt, it, it has come with challenges that have stretched us in, in new ways and learnings that, that that we found, but we have loved every minute of, of the partnership. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about what, it's probably too early to say what kind of impact this is having on the broader culture, um, but have you seen any, any signs or indications that it might have an impact on broader culture? Yeah, I can share an example of that. Uh, so one of the goals of the video is to be able to create this as a regular conversation for people. Um, and another one is that even if you haven't experienced that level of destruction, that you'd be willing to help somebody else. And so when we first released that commercial, the comments were remarkable. And oftentimes what we saw is, hey, I'm not struggling with this, but if somebody needs an ally, like I'm here, let me know. I got your back. Yeah, and that's such a great way of spreading that message and making it something where people feel like it's safe to ask for that help. And not only is it safe to ask for help, like they have a contact, they have somebody that is posting that on Facebook saying, if you need help, I'm here for you. And if that is the goal of that message and people are able to ask somebody for help and start developing that relationship and start leading towards that journey of victory, that's extremely powerful. Um, so that's just a, a very precise example of looking through those comments on that initial launch of the commercial. Um, but I think it starts to show that that conversation is elevated outside of people that are currently in the struggle or currently in that state of crisis looking for help to now I'm looking for ways that I can help the people around me. And that's remarkable. And uh, some of the comments also were of the type that, uh, hey, I watch porn, I love it. Who, 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 why would anyone want this product? Mm -hmm. uh, we got those comments. And, uh, and I know that people feel that way. And of course, we avoided the morality, as you said. Uh, and, uh, but what I believe is that uh, sometime, perhaps 20 years from now, um, that person who said that is going to realize, no, this really has affected me. And wow, I, I'm having a tough time uh, overcoming this. And we'll still be there 20 years from now. So, And I, in fact, we saw that in some of the comments. Yeah, we yeah. saw people saying like, 
I know you think this isn't a thing. I didn't either. But in fact, like what I found out was that after years of this, like I couldn't relate to my wife in the same way or I couldn't relate to my kids or I didn't realize even how distant I was. And so it's cool to see that level of conversation happening Mm -hmm. in a way that we could facilitate that. Because that's There was a conversation going on. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we need for culture. The beautiful thing was we didn't attempt to say it is impacting you. It is wrong. You need to change. We didn't say anything like that. All we did was say, hey, this impacted me. Mm -hmm. Here's what I did about it. If it's impacting you, here's what you can do about it. And if that resonates with people, fantastic. And if not, that's more power to them. But like you said, we'll be here 20 years from now. Yeah, that's right. Well, that, that's, uh, th- that's fantastic. Um, any last things that, that you would like to share with our audience before we wrap up? I- any special uh, announcements or anything coming down the pipeline that you could give a sneak peek for? Uh, I'm pretty certain that some of your listening audience will be using Covenant Eyes now. And uh, we are in the process of, uh, we have released our new version of Covenant Eyes that monitors not we used to just monitor the internet but now we are monitoring everything that is uh, that appears on the screen on the device uh, using a very advanced uh, process of analyzing images and uh, so that really is revolutionary and it provides a much better uh, much better monitoring system so that this relationship can really be uh, can really be real so that's uh, anyone who signs up now for Covenant Eyes gets that program. But if you're already using Covenant Eyes, uh, you'll see more and more information encouraging you to switch over. And clearly, right, our, the users of the new uh, screen accountability are much happier with that product. Yes. So it's a catalyst for a better conversation. It is. Between ally and and customer. It is. Absolutely. And we have one more Hummer Brothers commercial up our sleeves yeah. or up your sleeves, I guess. Um, <laughs> so that'll be coming out soon. So super exciting. Well, thank you both for, for joining us on the show. Thank you. It, it's so fun to, to get to hear your backstory a little bit and, and do a little bit of a deep dive into the campaign that, that we just made together. It, mm-hmm. It's been a great pleasure. It's been a, a great journey. Now for our listeners, Make sure to like and share and subscribe. And if you're interested in learning more about how we created our creative culture at Harmon Brothers, you can check out our book, From Poop to Gold, where we do a deeper dive into that creative culture. Thank you so much. We'll see you on the next one. We all kind of reach that point where we know we've created something awesome and we want to share it with the world, right? Mm -hmm. And it's that very next step that can oftentimes be really intimidating or really scary, or you just don't know where to go next, right? And the beautiful thing about this 14-day script challenge is you get your hand held from, okay, you have this cool product, now let's go research and find the exact way to present it and message it to the world in a way that resonates and gets people excited and they're ready to swipe their credit card and purchase. And in the 14-day script challenge, you get the opportunity to go through that step-by-step with our writers who have done it dozens and dozens of times. Yeah, you actually watch us go through each of the steps ourselves and create it with a real client, a real product, and um, it's a real campaign that's out there that's been very successful. That's right. And the feedback that we've had on this thing has just been phenomenal. I mean, we get comment after comment and emails flowing in from 
people all over the world who have just uh, raved about the impact that this has had on their business. People tell us over and people tell us over and over again, it is just a huge value punch for the investment for this 14-day script challenge, and and really gave them the tool set they needed to walk through it and make it happen. And we've had um, we've had dozens of students who have successfully taken the challenge, written their script, launched their ad campaigns, and driven success for their business. It's pretty amazing. For more information, go to hbros.co slash script. That's hbros.co slash script.